Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. In recent weeks, we've had several discussions related to tax liabilities and ways in which you can protect yourself uh, in certain tax situations. This week, we're going to dive into a different topic as we cover some of the details associated with uh, revocable living trusts. And this will actually start a couple of weeks in a row here of talking about different estate plans and uh, asset protection theories. So we're going we're gonna to cover a number of things starting today. And, and, and we'll look today at uh, some of the non-tax advantages of a uh, revocable living trust, and uh, we're going to get into some of the details around that. So a lot to do today. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, back again for another uh, conversation here on Chicago's Legal Latte. And I'll, I'll be joined today by uh, Lavelle Law Attorney Stephen Magala. We'll first get a better understanding of, of what a RLT is, and then walk through some of the key opportunities it provides. Uh, so a lot to cover. We want to get started right away. So, Steve, first of all, thanks for being here today. I appreciate the time. Uh, yeah, no problem. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Um, so let's, let's start at the highest level here. I, I, you know, I mentioned a revocable living trust. It's uh, kind of mm-hmm. a mouthful, but give us a quick uh, description of what that what that is, what kind of instrument it really is. Right. Let's just call them RLTs for short. Um, broadly speaking, uh, RLTs are certain types of trusts created by a person during his or her lifetime into which he or she places um, their, uh, that person's assets. It's often established by a written agreement in which uh, the person appoints himself or herself as trustee and the primary beneficiary uh, during that person's lifetime. Okay. And we talk about assets. So as a as an individual, if I develop uh, an RLT, what I might take is my uh, my home, uh, my savings accounts, investments, and rather than have them in my name, they simply go in the name of the trust. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So they would be uh, transferred and titled into the name of the trust. And that provides generally some tax benefits um, and in, in, in other protections for those assets? Right, yeah. Traditionally, uh, RLTs have been associated with estate tax planning and with uh, you know the exemption amount, uh, at least this year, being $5,250,000 plus spousal portability. Um, you know, it's, um, the tax planning aspect uh, isn't necessarily, uh, you know, appropriate for smaller states. So there's, but there are, you know, non-tax uh, benefits for, for these trusts. Yeah, and that's certainly what we want to talk about today. Now, you mentioned during your brief description there are a couple of, I don't know, I'll call them roles or stakeholders uh, within mm-hmm. RLT. So let, let's let's walk through those. Let's first of all, start with the grantor. You know, how, how do you define the grantor? Right, the grantor is just the person who creates the revocable living trust. Okay, and can is that an individual? Can it be a couple, married uh, family, uh, any combination? Um, you know, there are joint trusts where you can have husband and wife stay as the grantors, or just you know the, the an individual person who's setting up, you know, his or her own trust, uh, and they typically would name themselves as a, you know trustee. The trustee is just you know the person who uh, manages and distributes the trust property and kind of administers the trust. And, and of course, a trust isn't complete without a beneficiary, mm-hmm. and those are the people who uh, receive principal and income of the trust. And okay, now. Um, does this instrument, the RLT, um, does it make provisions then for what happens 
after you die as well? We were talking about sort of the the, the living uh, conditions here. What about uh, is it something that uh, then applies after death? Right. Yeah. The, the the trust continues after death, and it provides for a successor trustee to take presumably the grantor's place, who names themselves as trustee. And then there's instructions in the trust for what the, what uh, that trustee, the successor, is uh, supposed to do with the trust property. Okay. And right at the beginning, again, you know, referencing our introduction here, we we talked about the fact that there are non-tax benefits of a of a uh, living trust. And can you kind of talk us to us a little bit about what some of the benefits are that one would provide? Right. Yeah. Uh, focusing on the, just the lifetime benefits for now. Um, okay. You know, again, the grantor uh, typically names you know himself or herself as trustee and and at least the uh, sole beneficiary during life. Which then you know, allows the grantor's trustee to um, manage, invest, and spend the trust assets for his or her benefit during his or her lifetime. Uh, the, the the trust also provides that the grantor can amend or revoke the trust, so there's it's obviously very flexible in that regard. And then um, also provides peace of mind knowing that the assets you know were going to be available for the grantor's lifetime, but in the event of the mental incapacity or the death of the grantor. Um, the trust will still continue, and the assets will be there, and the trust will be administered according to the trust agreement. Okay, yeah, and let's let's talk about that last scenario there. Um, this would seem to be very beneficial should someone become incapacitated, either physically or uh, uh, perhaps uh, psychologically, uh, during their mm-hmm. lifetime. So, h- how does this uh, RLT provide for those type of situations? Right. The trust can specify, you know, what was meant by incapacity and uh, when when that happens. And then uh, when that does happen, um, the trust can name a successor trustee, and uh, that successor trustee then has a fiduciary duty under the law to, um, uh, for the benefit of the grantor, to protect the grantor's you know, interest in the trust, basically. Um, the trust agreement will specify that all the grantor's finances will be managed, you know, according to the terms of the trust, and a certain level of care and comfort are typically specified to be provided to the grantor from from the trust property. Okay. And, and you know, sometimes, uh, and sometimes too, um, you know, if if, if uh, you want to have more than say one successor trustee, you can appoint you know co co-successor trustees or maybe even a corporate trustee. It, it all depends on the grantor's wishes. Okay, so there's a number of different options in terms of how this might get set up depending upon your individual circumstances. Definitely. Yeah. All right, now let's, uh, I, I want to latch on to something you said just a minute ago, too, in terms of, and it sounds like it just by definition, by the title of, of uh, the document, that this is something that once it's done, it certainly, you can go back and change it, you can withdraw it. I mean, you know, if you do it young enough, you may have changes in your life over a period of time. So this is not a one-time document. No, no, while... Uh, the grantor has capacity and um, is alive. You know, uh, typically the trust provides it can be amended and and or and, and or revoked by the grantor. And from a planning perspective, as you deal with clients, is there sort of a recommendation that every five years or something this get revisited just to make sure it still says what you want it to say? Yeah, you know, every every couple of years, um, it, it's certainly worthwhile to take a review of it, especially. And maybe even more often, if you have um, certain life-changing events, you know, uh, marriages, uh, divorces, adoptions, you know, births, things, things that are kind of you know big life-changing events would would merit a review as well. Okay, um, so we're, we're covering a lot of ground here. For those of you just joining us, we're talking to Lavelle Law Attorney Stephen McGowan. 
looking at some of the advantages of a of a uh, revocable living trust. Um, it, what happens? Um, you know, we, we talked about the the living benefit, the death the death benefit. Um, at that point, um, does the document change if the grantor does pass away, and is it then no longer something to be changed? Uh, it, it then is acted upon as it was written. Right. Yeah. You know, upon the grantor's death, the successor trustee, much like in the incapacity situation, the successor trustee will take over, and then the uh, trust will provide for typically the payment of the grantor's, you know, bills, debts, and taxes using trust property. And then the remaining of the remaining assets will be distributed according to the uh, trust agreement. Uh, also, at death, the uh, RLT becomes irrevocable, and the provisions of the trust agreement are at that point uh, final. Um, so this will allow for the controlled distribution of you know, trust property to certainly minor beneficiaries and can avoid um, challenges to the estate by enabling disinheritance of anyone who opposes you know, the, the trust agreement. Yeah, talk about that because I know when we talk about uh, different uh, uh, estate planning tools, everything from wills on up, that there's always concerns about probate. Is there protection then for, uh, from one of these documents? Yeah, typically with a revocable living trust uh, avoids probate because um, you know, ideally all assets or most of the estate is uh, transferred into the um, trust, and so then you know those assets are held in the trust name and not the grantor's individual name. So uh, in that sense, you avoid probate. Uh, again, the trust property then would be distributed according to terms of the trust without any court supervision or, or interference as would happen in probate. And so, you know, properly funding the trust is is very important, especially if there's, um, say, a, a, a client who has out-of-state real estate, uh, because if you don't transfer that property into a trust or some other vehicle, then uh, you end up with an ancillary probate proceeding uh, in that state, and that's something you definitely would want to avoid. Okay. And in terms of, you, you mentioned it's important to, to, to fund the trust, so there is some sort of ongoing management uh, during your lifetime just to make sure that uh, the provisions you've set are, are achievable then and you you, ha you know what the assets are and what they're dedicated to. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, we as attorneys can draft the, the world's greatest, you know, estate planning documents, but if, if the trust isn't funded, if assets aren't transferred to it, um, you know, it's probably not worth the paper it's written on. <laughs> okay, so. interesting. Yeah, something we have to follow up on then. Now, we've talked about a lot of good things here. Is there any... Any downside, anything that you'd want to be concerned about or aware of before you were entering into one of these documents? Um, yeah, you know, uh, there's one advantage I do want to point out, too, before we talk about some of the disadvantages. Mm -hmm. One one other advantage uh, with respect to avoiding probate is, you know, you then also avoid disclosures of uh, testamentary information, including assets and beneficiaries, which would otherwise be a matter of public record. So that's one advantage uh, that kind of goes along with avoiding probate. In terms of a disadvantage with, the, with respect to the RLT, um, you know, it requires some upfront cost to set up and, you know, uh, obviously fund the trust like we talked about. So there's some, you know, upfront costs. Um, and, and RLT is not really designed for any sort of asset protection from creditors. And um, when you do an RLT, you also typically want to do a, a pour-over will, which all it is, is is a will that says, you know, whatever I have, transfer to my trust. Um, because, you know, it's often the case that not all the assets end up getting into the trust or or, be, or becoming funded into the trust uh, during the uh, client's life. And so you want to have just kind of a backup pour-over will to say whatever's not there at death, put in the trust. 
Okay. Well, so that's an interesting twist there, and, and you mentioned you know the funding, making sure that the documents are written properly, and, and then even a pour-over will. Um, is is it really complex to get an RLT in place? I mean, I don't want to scare people away from it here, but it, it sounds like a sound strategy, but what should they prepare for as they try and pursue getting this set up? Yeah, you know, when, when clients contact us, um, we like to use a, a questionnaire. Um, so we have them fill it out, and, and, and we go over that with them as part of their initial uh Consult, which again we offer free initial consults. So, um, and so we try to you know tailor the level of uh, planning with um, you know their assets and liabilities and whatnot and the information disclosed in that questionnaire. But it's uh, you know a pretty straightforward process, or it can be. And um, we definitely like to work with our clients to make sure that we provide the appropriate level of planning. And and uh, RLTs are definitely a key component of that. And it, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, on, on the podcast we often talk about using a qualified attorney to prepare various documents or handle certain situations. And while many people may have an attorney that they know, a family member, a friend, someone who's done real estate closings, something like this is something that you really have an attorney that has experience in estate planning and maybe tax planning, things of that sort, not just and not to knock any attorney, but there's some specialty work here, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you would you, want an attorney who's you're knowledgeable with um, estate and tax planning. Okay. Well, uh, we're glad you, we had you on to, to share the information with us today. Steve McGowan is, in fact, uh, one of those people that is uh, well-qualified and experienced and uh, certainly appreciate him joining us from the Laval Law Limited. Um, each week we get together with the various attorneys there and uh, and talk about some of these uh, important issues. And as I said, next week we're going to talk about uh, some of the basics of estate planning. Heather Walzer is going to join me, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of go through step-by-step step some of the things to look for there. So uh, my thanks to Stephen for today, and I look forward to having Heather with us next week. You can also find periodic articles written by Stephen on topics like this at lavellelaw.com. Uh, you can also sort through uh, their very extensive catalog of past podcasts, uh, download them at any time you'd like, listen to you uh, to any number, and uh, uh, kind of gain your own personal knowledge as you go through that collection there. So that's LavelleLaw.com. So thanks very much for being with us, and we look forward to having you join us for our discussion again next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847 847- 705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.